Take it down. Okay, I want to say uh, thanks to our guest here, Chris Lee. Of course, all Vanderbilt fans know that name. He's the publisher of VandySports.com, and he's the host of the Vandy Sports Podcast. You got to subscribe to it. That's how I get all my Vanderbilt news. And he's also got a new podcast out there. It's called The Southeastern 14. Chris Lee, thanks for joining me so much. I really do appreciate you. You bet. It's always good to be on with you. Yeah, and you wouldn't believe how many Vanderbilt fans that we have of our podcast that say, you know, no one gives a, enough attention to the Vanderbilt Commodore. So we always try to give attention to, we've had you on the show. We've had uh, Bruno Reagan, who I got introduced through the Vandy Sports Podcast. He's outstanding. So mm-hmm. want to give some love to Vanderbilt, unlike a lot of other SEC podcasts. And I want to start, you know, most of the, I really want to hit on Clark Lee and his coaching staff, but I just wanted to get your quick thoughts on Coach Derek Mason landing at Auburn. And uh, what do you think about the fit there of of him running Brian Harson's defense? You know, I think it's a fairly good hire for them. A lot of people are going to judge Derek Mason by his head coaching tenure, right? And that's way different than being a coordinator. Being a head coach is, in a lot of ways, a different skill set. And I always thought that the requirements and responsibilities of that were not Derek's strong suits. I don't think he's a bad coach. But being a head coach is as much being a CEO as it is being a football coach, right? And I think Derek is a football coach uh, who's not a CEO, if that makes sense. In other words, you look at what he did defensively at other places, like at Stanford, his defenses performed pretty well. But when it becomes managing an entire program and handling scholarships and PR and, and press conference and all the things that go that, that's when it started to fall out of his wheelhouse. But if you just let Derek stick to X's and O's and running a defense, I think there's been times where he's done pretty well at that. And you look at Vanderbilt, his first year, he fired his defensive coordinator, and he took over as his own defensive coordinator. And for the next two years, with James Franklin's talent, he had pretty successful defenses. Now, when it was up to him, again, to be the CEO of the program, and he's running the recruiting and all that, uh, that's when the results fell off markedly. And by that time, he had replaced himself. But my point is, you put Derek in a spot where he's got talent and he's not having to be a head coach, and he's had a track record to do well. And the other thing that I would say is Auburn has run a lot of 3-4 throughout the years. Derek always wanted to run that at Vanderbilt. I I thought it was a decision that he stuck to too stubbornly. Didn't work out so well at the end, in particular. At Auburn, you can recruit players to a 3-4. Traditionally, Auburn's had some tremendous defensive linemen. And I think in that environment where he's not having to be a head coach, where it's a place where they can get talent and they can get 3-4 defensive linemen, assuming that's what Harson's going to run, I think it's potentially a pretty good fit for them. All right, one other thing before we get to uh, Coach Lee's coaching staff. You know, Vanderbilt, for the most part, took care of business in the, the the latest recruiting class, despite the fact that uh, Coach Mason was let go. And I can't remember the timeline exactly, but I don't know if Clark Lee was even in place or maybe he was still running Notre Dame's, you know, defense before, you know, while these guys were signing during the early signing period. But what does that say about this class that, uh, you know, you didn't just didn't really have a ton of guys wavering following, you know, Derek Mason's dismissal there in Nashville? Michael, that was a real surprise because 
it's hard to recruit at Vanderbilt anyway. It's doubly hard to recruit when you're coming off an awful couple of years and then throwing a coaching change. And, I mean, there was everything there that suggested that class could fall apart, right, Mm -hmm. under normal circumstances. On top of that, throw in the fact that, as you asked, they did have a gap between when they fired Mason, which was after the Missouri game. And I think, uh, don't hold me to it, but I want to say that Clark Lee was hired maybe the 14th of December, so you had, what, a month with the vacancy. And and give Javon Hay a lot of credit, their defensive line coach, for keeping a lot of that class together. But for it not only to fall apart, and look, it's one thing if the class falls apart because they're kids nobody else wanted, right? But these are players that had other SEC offers. I can't remember their final rivals rank, but it was around 30, give or take a place or two. I think their class under all those circumstances it was really remarkable what they kept together. I'm sure Clark Lee deserves a lot of credit, but I think Javon Hay for sure certainly deserves credit because he's a bridge from that old staff to the new one. He works very hard, and I think it just, again, was remarkable for them to do that under the conditions they did it. So among those additions, are, are you, there any players that you maybe single out, one or two that you see as making you know, an impact immediately under Clark Lee? And, uh, you know, what's the latest on the Temple transfer? I hope I'm getting his name right. Ramon Davis? Yeah, I mean, I think you start with transfers, right? Ramon Davis had a really nice career at Temple. You saw last year Keon Brooks had to take on a heavier load than he probably should have. And you saw him get hurt. And that's dangerous for a running back. Even when you're 230 or 40 pounds, Taking a 30 to 35 touch load in the SEC is a recipe for disaster. Keon Henry Brooks is nowhere near that. So I think getting another capable back was a good addition for them. You know, man, I have been when I've been asked who are your impact freshmen before, I have I have done a total face plan on that question before. <laughs> so you know, like I would have sworn Alston Orgy a couple of years ago. They needed a linebacker. He'd been a top 100 recruit at one time. He was a big-time player at a 5A level in Texas. I mean, all the recipes for success, right? Well, that kid's been a non-factor in three years. So having said that, I look more position groups. They signed a nice class of defensive linemen. I think you got a shot that maybe one of those kids steps forward out of that group. Uh, That would be my first guess. Although they've got some defensive linemen with potential. That was a really disappointing group last year. Outside, outside of Dio Adingbo and Andre Mincy, who both graduated. So I think that's an area where guys will have a chance to step up, and that was maybe the strongest area of their class. All right, so obviously Vanderbilt, you've been covering the program for a long time. We've got an AD that's a graduate that played at the school. Now we got a head coach, also played at the school. Do you get any kind of sense that, uh, you know, maybe we've got finally got some stability and, and something to build on and just maybe a re- maybe like a renewed sense of it's a new era for real this time at Vanderbilt? You hope so, right? I mean, goodness gracious, this was one of the most stable programs in the Power Five across the, the three major sports or the four major sports, if you include women's basketball, for the longest time and just Four or five years ago, that really started changing, right? With the dismissal of Kevin Stallings, uh, you know, you've had a football coach change, been through what 
three ADs in, in two years at this point. So it's been rather crazy. But I think with Clark Lee, he's a guy who has coached a lot of places. He's been at some other Power Five stops. He has become good friends with Tim Corbin, Vanderbilt's baseball coach. That is an outstanding start when it comes towards knowing the necessities, the, the tricks of coaching, the tricks of operating at Vanderbilt. Clark's a pretty mature guy. I think he's a thoughtful guy. Uh, I think he's a guy that's going to be here for the long haul. I don't think that Clark is a guy who is going to you know, take off in a couple of years for, let's just name a random Power 5 job, Kansas State or Iowa State or or Baylor or, or North Carolina or something like that, if he has some success. I think being an alum and being from here probably makes it a little more likely that he'll stay. Now, look, if if Notre Dame or a big-time job comes calling, he gets to be that big, maybe it's a different game. But, yeah, I would say that you can never guess how these things pan out, but I think in terms of what you might think, I think Clark would have been one of the more stable hires they probably could have made, given the circumstances that you mentioned. Now, it's taken him a little while, but he's finally got his full coaching staff assembled here. And a lot of names here, i got to be honest with, not very familiar with. So, you know, I'm not going to ask you to sit here and break down each one individually or anything. But one thing that's really struck me is just the NFL influence. I mean, both coordinators come from the NFL. Uh, Just What are your thoughts on this coaching staff overall? And it is there one hire maybe among the the 10 full-time staff members that that really you know catches your eye as maybe the best hire based on just what we know up to this point? Well, let's start with the NFL angle, which you mentioned. I think that makes it really hard to predict because a lot of these guys have not recruited at a college level or not in a while or, or not for long stretches. That makes some more difficult evaluations. You know, coordinators who came out of the NFL, that was not something I was expecting either. Um, I think that when the one thing that I hate to say red flag, right? Because I think Clark Lee took his time and did an inordinate amount of preparation. And so Clark may know some things we don't. I, I wouldn't rule that out. But it did strike me as odd that he didn't bring in a coordinator, say, from another college program. Although Jesse Minter, I think, had done that at Georgia State especially on the offensive side where David Rye, I guess, has not called plays before. Now, he's been an assistant, I think, at Texas Tech and, and had a support staff position at UCLA. So it's not like he hasn't been at that level. But I was a little surprised when you coupled that with the first-year head coach. I mean, that's it's a lot to bite off, right, in terms of, of game day experience. But, again, he did do his homework, I think, on these things. You know, I think the two that stuck out to me, Michael, Anoki Brechterfield, who had been the defensive line coach at Wisconsin, which has fielded some really good defenses over the years. Uh, on paper, that seems to be a good get. Uh, th- the other one, we don't talk about special teams coaches a lot, but Justin Lustig from Syracuse, I thought was an outstanding hire. I've talked to some analytics people who were able to kind of isolate uh, special team stats and things like that and, and use that to emphasize coaching impact. And I talked to somebody in the industry and his opinion was Lustig is probably one of the top two or three special teams coaches in the country. So to be able to bring a guy like that to your staff, when you're first year head coach, a guy that I think could have gotten a job, a lot of places that to me is maybe the one that stands out. 
Now, I do want to ask you about Barton Simmons in just a moment here, just on his role there and, and thoughts on that. But I did catch an interview with him. I believe it was on uh, Braden Gall's show. And one thing, in addition to these uh, coordinators coming from the NFL, you know, he really kind of emphasized the fact that here at Vanderbilt, we want guys that their dream is to play in the NFL. And, you know, it's one thing to say that, but then here you go and hire these NFL coaches and I'm starting to see some of the scholarship offers that are going out by this Vanderbilt staff. I mean, these are guys that, you know, some of these players have offers from, you know, the who's who of college football. So in my mind, it's clear that Vanderbilt staff's not backing down from anybody. So uh, I don't know, just what are your thoughts on, you know, the, the NFL influence that uh, Clark Lee's program is going to have moving forward? Well, I think it's good to hear a coach who aims there. I mean, Vanderbilt, let's let's face it, has had some players that's put in the NFL who have had some success recently. Jay Cutler had a long career as an NFL starting quarterback, uh, which I know Cutler was never more than probably an average quarterback, but go look at how many guys who get drafted who play as long as he does and keeps a job. I mean, and that was an accomplishment. You've got Zach Cunningham who led the league in tackles. I think you've got something that you can sell there to kids that you can make the league. No, they're not putting players in volume that the rest of the league is, right? And But it's the same. They've got a degree in a city that nobody else can offer, and those are selling points. But, but the thing is, these kids who play in the NFL, they want to win, right? And I've seen Vanderbilt finish second or third for many a kid who, who went on to an Alabama or, or a bigger place uh, who – we're in families where academics were valued, but at the end of the day, kids don't want to get their hats handed to them on the football field. Um, I think they've got a lot to sell, but you've got to start winning games and getting competitive and getting to that stage where you're getting the bowls and then maybe finishing in the top 25 like James Franklin did. If he can do that, I think that boosts their recruiting because They've got a lot to sell, but if you're not winning games, that negates a lot of your advantages. So to me, that's a script that Clark Lee has got a chance to to flip within a few years if things go well. So I hit on Barton Simmons there. That was an eye-raising hire there. I mean, obvious connection there to Clark Lee, and this is a guy that's well-respected in the media, in the recruiting world, in and around Nashville, but as I understand it, Vanderbilt now is there's only one other team in the SEC that's got a GM, and that's LSU. And now Vanderbilt becomes the second to to have that in Barton Simmons. So, you know, to me, this signals that Vanderbilt's doing something different, and I like that because I think they got to do something different to be successful. But just what are your thoughts on, you know, Clark Lee making that splash move, if you want to call it that, and and bringing in Barton Simmons, who, like I said, well respected, but. Uh, never held this type of role before. What do you think he'll bring to the Vanderbilt program? I think he brings several things. I mean, first of all, he brings some recognition and some publicity for some good reasons, which they need. Secondly, he's been in the media, right? And, and I think that helps a coach and a staff in terms of perception and communication. And I mean, I think there's all kinds of things that he could add to that staff that Derek Mason, frankly, lacked. Uh, in issues of awareness and communications and things. I think it's always good to have a guy on your staff who has been in the media and know how that operates. Uh, maybe it's a little bit overrated, but it doesn't hurt. I think the big thing, though, Michael, you look at some of the kids that Vanderbilt has put in the league, and Cutler's a good one. Cutler, I think, had one offer from Illinois, 
in terms of major Division I programs, and that was as a safety. Jordan Matthews didn't have anything outside Vanderbilt. And, and those are needles in a haystack that they found, right? You can't count on finding one or two of those every year. But a guy like Clark Lee, who does he know? He's going to know seven-on-seven seven coaches. He's going to know high school coaches. So he's got an end with relationships uh, across the country that, that helps him. He's also got an eye for talent. I mean, Clark – or not Clark. Um, Barton did a pretty good job, especially in terms of receivers – at identifying some kids who ended up being more successful than the recruiting market thought they would be. So I think for Vanderbilt, are they going to go in and win recruiting battles with LSU and and Alabama on kids those schools really want? 99% of the time, and that may be conservative, they're not, right? Not at this point for sure. But if you can find a a high three-star kid or or maybe a two-star kid that nobody's found – and, and find five or six of those every class where they overachieve what the ranking is. And, and you can put together a roster of about 50 players in this league who can, can really play. And frankly, I think that's the key that James Franklin had. You go back and look at his teams, and they weren't star-studded rosters where you're looking at it and going, NFL player I know, NFL player I know, and, and running down the roster – seven or eight years later and, and saying these guys went on to be all pros and stuff. No, that's not realistic right now. But what James did was identify players who could play, who were depth pieces. Um, you know, and some of those kids were recruiting battles against some other teams in the league that they won. So I think if you can step up your recruiting a little bit and also identify some guys that you're higher on in the coaching profession and the recruiting world as a whole, that's been shown as a key to success. If you could build a roster of 45 or 50 guys who can help you on Saturday. And I think that's probably where Barton Simmons helps him the most. Now, do you have a, you may not have this number on hand or anything, but uh, just a overview of uh, what does Vanderbilt's scholarship numbers look like after they've had, I think they had about 15 players leave the portal in the last year or so. So um, where are they at in terms of the 85? Are they anywhere close to that number heading into 2021? I think they're almost right at it, which is astonishing uh, because they did have a lot of players hit the portal. They have a lot of players, quote unquote, opt out (laughs) late in the season. Uh, Frankly, that was they just had enough and were done with the season. Uh, It wasn't a COVID concern. But, uh, you know, now how many of those kids could play? I don't know. But they signed a full class. They got some transfers. And I think they are maybe right at that 85 number or a couple down. I have asked for some roster clarification from them. I don't think they're ready to hand that out yet. Uh, But from what we have been told, it sounds like they're going to be really close to that 85 mark. You might want to be a couple under it uh, with some transfers coming on the market this spring and everything. But I would not have thought when the season ended that they would be nearly as close to that 85 scholarship number is they're probably going to end up. In fact, I referred to it at some points is they're looking at self-imposed probation because if you have a bunch of kids leave and, and you start with, you know, say 45 or 50 scholarship players, well, there's limits on how you can, how many you can sign. Seems like this staff has done a good job of keeping a cohesive roster and bringing some of those players back into the fold uh, where I thought it really had a chance to fall apart on them if they didn't play their cards well. Now, if I'm not mistaken, I've seen that uh, Vanderbilt looks like they're upgrading the locker rooms. And when when Clark Lee got introduced, you know, he was asked about the 
facilities and all this. And, you know, a lot of coaches like to make that as, as an excuse or, you know, maybe some, something they demand, at least publicly, he said, I, if I recall, he, I ba- he basically said, that's not an issue for me at this point. So I uh, just wanted to get your thoughts on, on that locker room upgrade. And uh, if there are any other renovations coming to the facility or, or even the stadium that you're aware of. Well, the locker room upgrade, I think, is maybe a three, four million dollar project, which is not as much as the one they had originally planned, but it's much needed. That's what's public right now. Uh, Some people I have spoken to believe that they will announce some improvements, some major improvements within about a month, maybe by the first of April. That will include probably a football only building in the closed end zone, uh, some stuff in the open end zone probably some gradual stadium renovations and some stuff for basketball. Uh, you know, the, the price tag on it, I think, is is into nine figures. We'll see exactly where they settle. Look, Michael, you, you, you know this as well as I do. We have seen so many promises made and broken, and they have not made a lot of specific promises. We'll see how they follow through. I think the difference this time is they have the support of the chancellor and, and a lot of the board of trust, and that's always key towards getting progress at a place where progress has been, I think easy is too, too generous for a term. It's been almost impossible at times. But I think this spring will be big if those facilities announcements come. I think that signals a pretty significant change in operating environment and philosophy by the school. Mm-hmm. Now, do you have a – not that I'm aware of. I've not seen spring practice dates announced. Do you know when that's going to start and – and uh, what what are the big storylines you're looking for for this Vanderbilt team? I know there's a lot of questions, but what's the one or two big ones on your mind heading into spring? No, Michael, they've not announced anything. And I think the holdup is what you'd guess. It's COVID and protocols and that kind of stuff. And, and not to mention, if I'm Clark Lee, I probably want to start as late as I can because you're bringing on new staff members and they've got to get acclimated. They got to get their families moved and, get familiar with working with each other and and deciding on philosophies. So I think those are two big things. I mean, storylines all over the place. I mean, this is the team that went 0-9 and, and would have been 0-10 had it played Georgia. So, I mean, I, I think the unknowns are more than the knowns. I, I think one of the knowns is you've got a quarterback that you can build around in Ken Seals. Uh, maybe some receivers with Chris Pierce and Cam Johnson back. Uh, you've got some tight ends that have shown some things at times, but the one thing that was unstable last year was that offensive line. They had four opt-outs before things even started. I think all four of those kids would have played. I think three of them are probably going to be back. So you get a lot of guys who got experience last year who wouldn't have otherwise, and now you may see the guys who would have started in front of some of those guys come back. I think that helps a lot. So I want to see cohesiveness on the offensive line with what I think, uh, man, is it a, a, a third new offensive line coach in three years? Yeah, that's the case. And all that I think about it. So a lot there defensively, man, they couldn't cover anybody last year. I mean, their secondary was awful. I want to see if this was just a case of you know, like when something spoils in your fridge, the whole thing stinks, right? And and, uh, and it overshadows everything. I want to see if they've actually got some kids in the secondary who can play a little bit, or that was just a case of when a lot of stuff went bad, it all went bad. But t- to me, they've got to get better play on the back seven. 
Their defensive line was a disappointment outside those two graduated players. I want to see if their line is as good as we thought it could be, which wasn't going to be a good SEC line, but I think Vanderbilt was going to close the gap with more talented bodies than they normally have. That didn't really materialize. So I think the whole defense, in my mind, is a storyline. All right, final question for you, Chris. I mean, you just ran the gauntlet there. So many questions, but one guy you hit on, Ken Seals. How much promise does that give the fan base and even this coaching staff that I know they got a ton of heavy lifting to do and there's there's a lot of work to be done to make Vanderbilt just a competitive team in the SEC, but I don't want to say easy, but maybe how much does that you know, give motivation for Vanderbilt knowing that you maybe have one of the best quarterbacks in the entire SEC return, and heck, he's got three years to play. Well, or maybe four, right, right under right. the circumstances, uh, you know, depending on where the pro stock is in a few years. But, yeah, I mean, look, that's the one piece that's been hard to find a lot of places, and especially for them. Um, you know, having a guy who can start three or four years at Vandy, we haven't seen that, I guess, since Jay Cutler. And, and frankly, Ken was better as a true freshman than Jay was as a redshirt freshman. I know Jay had some talents in terms of arm strength and, and some mobility that Ken doesn't have, but in terms of being a college quarterback, I thought Ken was a whole lot more polished right away. He had a terrible supporting cast. His offensive line really broke down, and I think that changed a lot of things as it sort of imploded on them at year's end. But again, if you can fix that offensive line with some parts you didn't have a year ago with a lot more experience coming in, I think that's a huge plus. Once you do that, that sets up a lot of other things. We talked about them adding another running back. Um, having a, a better running game is going to help your quarterback. I just think that he's got a lot of talent. And you saw them last year before the Sarah Fuller stunt blew up the team. They had four games of 400 yards straight or more on total offense heading into that Missouri game. Now, they didn't even get in field goal range in that game, and they got shut out 41 to nothing. But they'd not put up four straight with over 400 yards of total offense since Cutler had been there. Uh, I thought doing that with the severe lack of talent in the line troubles they had last year was a tremendous accomplishment. Again, I put a lot of the credit on Ken Seals, and I look at what he comes back into they don't lose much of anything of substance on the offense at all. I mean, they did lose Grant Miller to Baylor, who transferred out, who was probably their best offensive lineman on last year's team. Uh, I think Grant would have really helped them out having an experienced center. But other than that, they didn't lose a whole lot of value. And I think another year of experience uh, with him, with the parts around him getting better. And, oh, by the way, he's a leader and, and a really good one and a mature kid. That always helps. I just think uh, that's a really good foundation. And if the parts around him get better, it'll be interesting to see the kind of leap they could take this year. All right, he's Chris Lee, once again, the publisher of Vandy Sports and the host of the Vandy Sports Podcast and the Southeastern 14, braving this Nashville snowpocalypse he even broke out the, the big guns, the big mic for this interview. So thanks, Chris. I really do appreciate you hopping on with us here. And, uh, and it's always great to get some outstanding Vanderbilt knowledge from you. Always a pleasure. Thanks for having me.